Good morning. This morning, I'll be reading from the book of Hebrews, chapter 11, verses 30 and 31. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell down after they had been encircled for seven days. By faith, Rahab the prostitute did not perish with those who were disobedient, because she had given a friendly welcome to the spies. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Well, good morning. Good morning. Thank you for the kind invitation to uh, join all of you here for worship today. Uh, it's, uh, yeah, it's a great joy to be with, with you. Uh, as Laura mentioned, uh, our family, we've been in the area for uh, close to 20 years now, and um, just really enjoy being part of this network of gospel-preaching churches uh, ministering together for the good of the gospel. Um, so... Yeah, but before we uh, hear from our God, uh, let's, all, let's all pray together. Father, we do thank you for these words that we just heard. For these are not merely words, uh, they are words of life. And we pray with spirit that you would breathe life upon us as we hear from you. Give us clarity. Give us understanding. May we know uh, what you are calling us to and to whom that we will be drawn to you, to your Son. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Uh, this last week, uh, our family, we were on school vacation, and so we spent some time in New Jersey uh, visiting various uh, family members. And uh, part of our trip was spending time with my brother's family. And uh, one night, my brother and I, we were catching up. And at one point, we started to talk about Boston and what Boston's like. He's, he's only been living in uh, New York and New Jersey. And, and he made this comment where he said that, you know, Boston is a city that's full of elitism. Say, he would say to us, gosh, you know, all of you people out there have all these advanced degrees. Uh, you, you just boast about your competency and how good you are. And you have no issues letting other people know that this is true. And, you know, when, when he said that, I took a step back and I thought, you know, he's not wrong. You know, because here in this, in this, in this area that we live in, uh, we find identity in our strength. And anytime we are faced with our weaknesses, we see them as liabilities, even to the point where we might be even ashamed of, of our weaknesses. And so today, this morning, we're going to consider uh, this passage, which gives us uh, a bit of a different perspective on weakness, because weakness was not avoided. If anything, weakness was embraced. Uh, the people in our passage, they had faith to be weak. And so we're going to consider that faith and weakness, uh, it looks like three different things. Uh, first, it looks foolish. Uh, secondly, it's costly. And lastly, it demonstrates true strength. 
So first, faith and weakness, it looks foolish. Uh, in the broader context of Hebrews chapter 11, the author, he's identifying uh, a series of people throughout the Old Testament who have demonstrated faith. And one of them is Moses. Uh, Moses is the one who led the Israelites out of slavery from Egypt, and they wander in the desert for 40 years. And then at some point, Moses, he transfers his leadership over to Joshua. And at that point, the Israelites, they're pretty much on the cusp of entering into the promised land of Canaan. But then there's one thing in their way, and that's the city of Jericho. And at the time, probably the most fortified city in the land. And now sometime before this, the Israelites, they had already conquered two different kings on their way to, uh, to the promised land. So you might expect that Joshua and his generals, they're expecting to use the same exact playbook on Jericho when they arrive. But the complete opposite happens. And we see this in verse 30. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell down after they had been encircled for seven days. So at this point, God, he, he commands Joshua to do this very strange thing. He commands Joshua, line up his troops. But first, there's a group of, of soldiers, and then a set of seven priests, and then there's the Ark of the Covenant which was this wooden chest overlaid with gold. And, and inside of this chest was the, the Ten Commandments. And this Ark of the Covenant was, um, was representing the presence of God for the people of Israel. And then rounding out the procession was the rear guard of soldiers. So you had soldiers, seven priests, the Ark of the Covenant, and then the rear guard of soldiers. And so each day, this procession, they would go to Jericho, to the city. They would march around the city. The soldiers would not say anything. The priests, they're blowing into their ram's horns. And after they encircle the city once, they would go back to their camp. And they did the same activity for the next six days. Now, you know, I'm somebody that doesn't have any uh, military experience, but this sounds like a really bad idea, <laughs> right? They're, like, they're, the Israelites are up against the most fortified city in the land, and they're not thinking about how can we breach the city walls. They're not maybe thinking about, oh, maybe let's dig a tunnel underneath and surprise them from within. Or maybe we should survey the surrounding walls of the city and look for some kind of a vulnerable point to exploit. None of that. Each day, the walls of the, um, each day they just walk around the city doing, doing what they've been told by God to do. And maybe the Israelites themselves, they had doubts. Maybe they had second thoughts. You know, as they're circling the city and going back to it every single day, they're walking around, they're probably thinking, these walls look the same as they did yesterday. And maybe even thinking, what are we doing? 
But then on the seventh day, God commands them to circle the city, not just once, but seven times. And then on the seventh loop, Joshua gives an order for everyone to shout. And so everyone shouts, and as the song goes, the walls came tumbling down. And so the most fortified city in the ancient world, it just gets completely decimated. And the Israelites, they take over Jericho. Now, even though the Israelites, they looked absolutely foolish and absurd doing all this, God never intended for them to be fools in the end, but to prove that he was their God, that he was on their side with each seemingly foolish step that they took. And when we think about it, God's marching orders, they were an object lesson for Israel. What looked like weakness and vulnerability, it would not lead to their ruin. Even though they had already conquered a couple of kings prior to coming to Jericho, God reminded them that you don't always win by brute strength. And sometimes having Faith can look like the most foolish thing ever. We live in a world where competency and strength are so highly valued. But this morning, some of you demonstrated faith to be generous with what you have for the good of others and not to just hoard it for yourselves. Some of us, we have faith to tend to our own mental health by seeking therapy. And just a little while ago, this morning, we participated in something that was utterly foolish. We confessed our sin. We admitted and highlighted our weakness, not our strength. And so faith and weakness can look foolish. Now we'll see, secondly, that faith and weakness is costly. Uh, We see this in verse 31. By faith, Rahab, the prostitute, did not perish with those who were disobedient because she had given a friendly welcome to the spies. Now, before the Israelites, they, they marched Uh, around the city of Jericho, Joshua, uh, he goes and sends two of his men to to survey the the city. And while they're inside, they find the home of Rahab, who was a prostitute. And and many scholars believe that Rahab's home, uh, it functioned very much like a a hostel where it had uh, travelers coming through um, so that they're able to spend the night. And this is where perhaps Rahab began to hear about the stories of Israel. Because as these travelers are coming through and sharing stories that perhaps they had heard, she would have heard of how the Israelites had their backs up against the Red Sea. The the Egyptians are racing towards them. But then at some point, the waters part and the Israelites cross over on dry land into safety. She probably heard of the stories of how just recently 
the Israelites had defeated two Amorite kings, and Jericho looked to be next. And so when these Israelite spies arrive at the house of Rahab, the author of Hebrews says, she had given a friendly welcome to the spies. But this act of hospitality, it was so costly for Rahab. At some point, word gets out throughout the city that there are these spies inside. And so the king of Jericho, he sends his officials to Rahab's house, demanding that that Rahab gives them up. But then instead of obeying, Rahab lies. She diverts the officials' attentions to go somewhere else so that the spies can be safe. And so from the perspective of the Jericho government, Rahab has just committed treason. But but what's so interesting is that here in Hebrews chapter 11, also in James chapter 2, Rahab is considered a a noteworthy example of faith. So how do we make sense of this? You know, this is a bit of a complicated issue for sure, uh, but there's one thing that I want us to, to think about this morning. So back in Joshua chapter two, where we find the story of Rahab, our passage here in Hebrews chapter 11, and then also in James chapter two, Rahab is identified not just as Rahab, but as Rahab the prostitute. And specifically here in Hebrews chapter 11, she is the only person that has something added to her name. So in in Hebrews chapter 11, we have Abel, Enoch, Noah, Abraham, Sarah, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, Moses, the Israelites, and then Rahab. But not just Rahab, Rahab, the prostitute. When we think about Rahab's life, she was on the lowest rung on the cultural ladder of worth. Throughout her life, people used her body for their own selfish pleasure, having no ounce of care for her. And and with this life that Rahab had, I can't help but think that maybe she saw some of her own story in the Israelites. Because the Israelites knew all too well what it's like to be in bondage, what it's like to be taken advantage of, to be treated as less than human. And then these Israelite spies, they show up at her home, they probably look no different from any of these other travelers that have spent the night there, but somehow they are worlds apart. So in Joshua chapter two, where we find this story of Rahab, uh, scholars point out that the text is very clear that there is no hint of sexual relation between the spies and Rahab. And so perhaps for the very first time in Rahab's life, she experiences what it's like to be treated as a woman of worth and not as an object of pleasure. She gets a glimpse 
of people who have been in bondage before, but now they are free. And so when the king's officials come to, uh, to Rahab and asking her where the spies are, she's, she has two options. So either tell the truth and remain in bondage as a prostitute or lie and hope for liberation. And so Rahab, she chose the latter. Again, this is a really complicated issue. But perhaps the biblical authors identified Rahab as Rahab the prostitute to tell us that she was no ordinary person. Telling the truth would mean bondage and death. Lying would offer the chance at life as it should be. And so Rahab, she leads the spies to another way out of the city, and and she pleads with them. She pleads that that they spare her and her family when Jericho is going to be overtaken by the Israelites. And so the spies, they agree to this, and then they head back to their camp. And now this is where Rahab risked everything. As a prostitute, she was already below the lowest rung of the ladder of worth. But after she lied, she put herself and her family at risk. What if the spies are caught on their way out, on their way back to the camp? Rahab is done. She's committed treason. What if the Israelite spies forget completely about the agreement that they made with Rahab and her family? Rahab and her family will be taken out with the rest of Jericho. But despite the cost, Rahab demonstrated faith in weakness. She was a nobody in her world, and yet she acted in faith that rescue would come to her even before it came. And so faith and weakness is costly because it puts you in this really vulnerable position. You don't lead with strength. You don't lead with competency, but you lead with weakness. You lead with humility. When I think about costly faith, uh, I think about my mom. Uh, When I was younger, uh, her best friend shared with me that my mom, she graduated the top of her class in college. And she studied piano performance in Korea. And after she finished college, she went on to Germany for a few years to, to study some more. And after that, she went to New York City for further graduate studies. And, and while she was there, uh, she found this very small Korean church, uh, and she became a part of their music ministry and also their choir. And in that choir was this very unassuming tenor. And at some point, my mom and my dad, they got married. And a year after they got married, my brother was born. A couple years after that, I was born. 
And, and around that time, my mom decided to put her entire career on hold uh, to choose to be a stay-at-home mom for two sons and a dad who have bottomless stomachs. And she did this for the rest of her life. Um, you know, even though she could have wowed the world at a place like Carnegie Hall, uh, she chose to be at a no-name, small Korean church in Brooklyn, even though she had amazing talents. She put her faith not in her strength, but in her weakness, laying down her future of prestige uh, so that someone like me could flourish. You know, my mom really talks about this, but I would have to think this was a really hard decision for her to make. When we think about the Israelites giving, being given these instructions to march around the city of Jericho, maybe not an easy decision for them as well. Rahab risking her entire life and the life of her family was utterly costly. And so for, for us, as we consider this, how can we demonstrate this kind of faith? How can we live out of our weakness and not out of our strength? And that leads us to our final point. Faith in weakness demonstrates true strength. Uh, thinking back to the Israelites when they're marching around the city of Jericho, uh, right in the very middle of their procession was the Ark of the Covenant, uh, the place where God was present with his people. And so even if the Israelites had these second thoughts, which are very understandable, they at least knew that God had not left them alone. He was right there with them. And Rahab knew that the God of Israel, the true God, was right on her doorstep. And she knew that this God had the ability to rescue her, to save her and her family, just like how he did for the Israelites, bringing them out of Egypt. And friends, we know how the story goes because centuries later, God will come again to be present with his people. But he would not come in a wooden chest, but he would come in the person of Jesus Christ. This all-powerful God, he comes to us not in strength, but in weakness. The Son of God comes to us as a human. He's born as a baby. You know, when we think about this, what kind of a God would do this? What kind of a God would lead with weakness as opposed to a demonstration of true Defying power. And as we consider Jesus, Jesus continued to live in weakness to demonstrate his strength. 
all of last week, we were journeying with Jesus to the cross. And there we see a beautiful display of him embracing weakness. Where on the cross, the Son of God, the all-powerful God, gave up his life for all who would believe in him. And the costliness of his crucifixion on that first, on that Good Friday, would lead to demonstrating his true strength when he would rise again. The resurrection, that first Easter Sunday, where the Son of God would not remain dead in the tomb, but he would rise, and he is alive right now. And it was that first Easter Sunday that guaranteed that death would not have the final say. What an incredible display of true strength. But it did not come from power necessarily, but it came from weakness of laying down his own life for us. And why did Jesus do this? to save even the most unexpected people. Remember, Rahab was a nobody in Jericho. Rahab was a nobody to the religious Jews. In the first century, it's noted that Jewish leaders, they regularly prayed this prayer. Thank you, God, that I am not a woman, a slave, or a Gentile. They were thanking God that they were not Rahab. And yet it is people just like Rahab who Jesus came into this world for. Doesn't this show us the the beauty of God's character? How the all-powerful God, he doesn't look down on us but he becomes weak. He stoops down to see us eye to eye. You know, the story of Rahab continues, uh, where after Rahab and her family, they are are spared, they become part of the Israelite community. And Rahab eventually marries into royalty. She ends up being the great-grandmother of King David which means that she is part of the lineage of Jesus, right? And that's the kind of rescue that Jesus did. He led with weakness that looked utterly foolish. It was infinitely costly, but through it all, that's how he demonstrated true strength so that people like Rahab, so that people like you and me even if we would be written off by the world, written off by any of our family members, the God of the universe, the God of the universe welcomes us into his family. And so friends, in what ways do you identify with the Israelites who may have looked utterly foolish as they're marching around the city of Jericho? In what ways do you identify with Rahab? 
and how she was constantly treated as less than. What, what are those weaknesses within us that we are trying to remedy, that we might even be trying to hide, that we are ashamed of? And so leaning into weakness, it can look utterly foolish. It may even be costly for us. But one thing that is for sure is that when we lean into weakness, we show the world the face of Jesus. When we lean into weakness, we remind ourselves, we remind the world that God is not embarrassed by any of us, but there is this beautiful welcome for us. The Almighty God put aside his strength. He became weak, came to us as a human, endured mockery and shame, gave up his life, died on the cross. But we celebrated last Sunday how that was not the end of the story but he would rise again, and that would be the enduring hope for all of us. And so the good news of the gospel is that weakness is not a liability, but it's an occasion for where God shows up. And so friends, as you think about your own unique weaknesses, Know that God is present with you right then and there. He's not running away, but he's with you. He's pleased with you. And so as we live by faith to be weak, I pray that we would find strength in the one who became weak for us. Well, let's pray together. Heavenly Father, what a, an amazing story that we have here today. A story that oftentimes is not spoken of in, in our day-to-day world. It's one that we don't often hear when we leave a place like this, where, where weakness is not something to be ridden of, but in fact to be embraced. And so, God, I, I confess how compelling of a narrative it is to uphold strength, to be competent, to have the appearance that, that I have it all together. But, God, you, you showed us that that is not where we find our identity but it is in our weakness that we find strength. And God, I thank you that that it is not on us to act in this way, but in your son Jesus, we see a beautiful display of weakness being demonstrated. And where through the weakness of Jesus, we see immense power, power that is unimaginable. And so God, I pray that you would encourage us 
as we go from here, that we would not be afraid of our weaknesses. We would not see our weaknesses as liabilities, as occasions for where we are being written off, but rather we would see how you are with us and you love us and you came in the person of Jesus to rescue us. So Father, I pray that that would move our hearts to worship, move our hearts to have faith in you. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.